five, scores! Rick Bob. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bob. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 64 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, pretty good, Mike. It was a nice morning today. Got out, played around at golf already, and uh, nice smooth little 78. It wasn't real good. It wasn't, oh. you know, uh, but nonetheless, it was a 78, so I can't complain about that. Well, working on that game for when you get to Florida, so you're going to need your best game. Yeah. <laughs> well, our that's guest. If we can, that's, that, that's if we can ever drive across the border before. Well, Probably hopefully. not till after New Year's, in my estimate. But anyway, hopefully. Well, well, hopefully that happens. And our guest today, in the meantime, we'll be dealing with this, was what we do. It was taken 27th overall by Montreal in the 1980 draft. Would enjoy 11 year career with stops in St. Louis, Calgary, Toronto, and Philly. Part of one of the biggest trades in Maple Leaf history, which we're going to get into. Please welcome to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show, Rick Natris. Rick, gentlemen, Ricky, Mike, how are you guys? We're doing good. How are you keeping good. Excellent, excellent. You know, just I said earlier, it was doing your show or staying and doing my mother-in-law's basement. That's a hundred years old. You have to bend over, and there's <laughs> stuff down there. I'm glad I can't see very well because I couldn't see anything <laughs> moving. So we did that today and trying to get her, you know, her house ready to move. She's going to be 80 coming up here and it's, she's in good health, but it's too much. Right. So, so you're there, the good. Well, the son-in-law for almost 45 years is coming to the rescue. Right. So you got to do what you got to do. Right. I still love my wife and she loves her mother. So that means I've got to love her mother. Right. You know, (laughs) (laughs) what the happy wife, happy life. She deserves it. Ricky can tell his wife as well, because, uh, the first 20 years were a little rocky, you know what I mean? And I'm not not on her part, not because of her. Let's put it that way. So, <laughs> Well, let's get to that part of the yeah. story. Then we'll start right back at the beginning. So let's go back. And for the listeners who want to get into all this, but yeah. just talk about your early age. Okay. Leading up to playing in EO with Brantford, just yeah. in your minor hockey and yeah. take us right to that well, level. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you hear – you know, my son's got to play or daughter, they got to play triple A at seven years old. Right. And, and I just think my personal opinion is they've got to go somewhere where they play. I don't care how many letters are behind it or in front of it, you got to play. So that was pretty much the story of my life. I grew up a single mom. I, you know, I had a stepdad that was around for a little bit, but I never knew my birth father. And, you know, we lived in the East end of Hamilton and, you know, very well, nice home, but you know, the area was, (laughs) You know, Hamilton, right? So, and I'm a proud Hamiltonian. So, anyways, took the bus to the rink a lot of times. My older sister, Sherry, you know, had a lot to do with it because mom was working two, three jobs and, you know, try to pay for hockey and pay for everything else. So, my sister had to take me. And you could imagine, you know, a 14, 15-year-old girl that's got a lugger 9, 10-year-old brother around, how that uh, yeah. how that emotionally she took that and put and did it on me. You know, I'm not sure I took the bus most of the time that I ran away from her, you know, with my equipment because she was pissed off. She couldn't hang out with her friends. But uh, I was fortunate enough to have a big sister that cared and still does to this day, and God love her. 
Um, so I'm playing hockey. I didn't play AAA till Major Bantam. A lot of people don't know that, you know, why? Because you didn't have money. And it was, you know, expensive for those times, yep. not compared to today, but it was all relative. And, and uh, you know, I wasn't good enough. So, I, you know, before you had these participation medals, I think the other the medal that they used to have back then was most improved because I had a shitload of them. Okay? <laughs> so, so uh, you know, every year, most improved, most improved. But, you know, and this is what I tell kids. You know, I was told many times that I was – you know, step too slow or, you know, not this or not that. And, you know, I never really thought about it, but I just love to play hockey. We played road hockey every day, like almost every day. I don't care what the weather was like. And so hockey was my life watching the lease on Wednesdays and Saturdays, Saturdays, the whole game Wednesdays, hopefully to the end of the second period, if I was a good boy, because, you know, yeah. mom would make me go to bed when I was younger because it was a school night, but so I'm playing, uh, my minor midget year had a really good year, got called up to the Hamilton Kilty Bees here and had a good playoffs for them. And then they were interested in, you know, back then you got to remember, I just turned 16, right? Because the draft was 17 back then, 17 years old. So, you know, they wanted me to come back, but they had an older team and I didn't, uh, you know, my mom and I didn't feel that I was going to get the ice time that I needed at that age. I was starting to grow. You know what I mean? I was growing. I was lanky. I needed to be on the ice. So, we pretty much almost had to threaten to go to court to play major midget. Um, they wanted, and again, it came down to money, right? They wanted the 1500 bucks. If I got drafted and, and I was part of their organization, they would get $1,500 from the team that drafted me. And it's pretty much the same day the way it is today. So Dave Draper, which was the GM and, and coach off and on for the Fincops and also the Brantford Alexanders, I guess, stepped in and said, listen, we're going to draft this kid in the later round. So, just let him play wherever he wants and we'll pay you whatever that, whatever the number was. I don't know. I'm not sure if they had to pay the full 1500 because I was in the seventh round. So I had a really good year. We didn't have many players. I think we had nine forwards and five D if maybe eight forwards and five D if I'm not mistaken. So I played a lot and a lot. And you know, back then, Ricky, you were there, we were playing a hundred games a God, year, yeah. hundred games a year, yeah, you know, good. back in midget 110. So, you know, that was a Rick, really I wish big... I had played on more I wish I had played on more teams that only had eight forwards. I would have got a lot more ice <laughs> well, time. That's you know what I mean, Ricky, and this is what I talk about. It was a perfect storm, maybe not for the organization, because it would have been nice to have a couple more bodies, but you know, a lot of the guys we you gotta remember we had the Kilty Bees here, the Mountain A's was the provincial eight team at you know at that time too. So there was a lot of hockey. You know, this area in the Hamilton, Stony Creek, Niagara area, as Ricky knows, is how many junior teams, you know, from whatever letter you want to go up, there's a ton of hockey, right? So, yeah. you know, so I, you know, they said, you know, you're going to get drafted. So I got drafted in the seventh round, 180 something or whatever it was. And, you know, and then, you know, going to camp. And unfortunately you have some friends that you grew up with that didn't get drafted and, you know, well, you're not going to make it and blah, blah, blah. So I go to camp. It was one of the worst teams in the O the previous year. Yeah. And they were, Drake was coming in and said, okay, rookies are playing. So I think we had almost 13 rookies that my first year, 79, 80. So again, I got to play through mistakes and you name it. Like, you know, the worst games, I know I'm in the lineup the next day and I'm going to play a lot and everything. So the playoffs come around and we had decimated with injuries on the back end. So Greg Terrion, you know what I mean? So we had mm -hmm. uh, Terrion went on to have a great career in the National Hockey League. He was a veteran, a third-year guy my first year. They brought him back to play defense with me. 
because we had no defense and we had two defense myself and Mark Botell. And I ended up playing like no lie, 40, 42, 43 minutes a game. Right. So we went on to the conference final. Um, unfortunately, we lost. And then, you know, the rumor was, hey, Rick, uh, maybe you should get an agent. And my mom are like, we don't know anybody like that. But I was fortunate enough through a, a program for, I guess, underprivileged kids to go to a hockey camp, Bobby or Mike Walton up in Aurelia. So Ricky, Billy Waters was the he, he was the, the guy that ran the camp for Bobby, right? So we knew Billy, and we knew Billy was in, you know, the agency with Alan Eagleson at the time. So I, uh, you know, we saw Billy in the stands, and my mom approached him. Would you be interested in representing Rick? There's rumors that, you know, he might get drafted, um, which is a surprise, you know, because I never, like, you know, playing road hockey and that, I wanted to be Davey Keon and Bobby Orr and, you know, that kind. But I never on the ice, never really compared myself or wanted to be like anybody. I just played. And when they gave me more opportunities, I played more. And then, you know, and it just progressed like that. It wasn't like I got to do this or I got to be in the NHL. And I didn't think that way. I don't know why. Maybe because I was always a step behind or you're not going to be good enough and all that kind of stuff. So, when it came time, to, you know, the rumor is, okay, you might go fourth, fifth, sixth round, you know, because they brought it back. The year before in 79, Ricky, I think you were drafted. It was only three rounds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, or, or four or five. Yeah, or something. It was like very that. low. Was so year. in 80, yeah, they yeah. went back to 10 or whatever it was. So, you know, I was going to be mm -hmm. a higher pick. So Billy said he would – Mr. Waters said he would be honored, you know, and then about two weeks later, this is going on in the playoffs, right? So it's not the end of the year. Um, and by the time we got to the end of the year, Billy had left Alan Eagleson and became Granada Sports because Ricky knows Billy and Ricky Kern very well. So uh, I went with Billy and Ricky Kern because I knew Ricky was a camp counselor and his brother, Randy, was the counselors at uh, Bobby or Mike Walton. So anyways – they say, well, we'll fly you down to Montreal. And I brought uh, my brother's 19 years older than me. Uh, I have an older brother. So I thought, you know, I don't have my father. My mom was working. She couldn't get off work because, you know, those, what was she making? About four bucks an hour was very important to her back then. And uh, so we go to Montreal. And all I'm hearing about is the hot dogs, right? You got, you know, these hot dogs at the <laughs> forum and everything. So I'm like, it's going into the early in the second round. And I'm like thinking I might go in the fifth. Six, seven, seven. Look at that hair, Ricky. Look at that hair. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? Right? <laughs> you can't see the earring oh, so that Montreal told me to take out. So at the end of the day, they, they looked at me weird with the haircut. So anyways, so we go to Montreal. It's early second. First round's just over. You know, there was 19 teams in 1980. So, you know, the 20th pick, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking – I'm going to sneak off around the corner and grab a couple of these dogs, right? So I'm waiting for the good time because I'm sort of sitting around, you know, I don't know Montreal is going to take me or whatever. I had interviewed with a couple teams, Scotty Bowman for 10 minutes. He didn't say a word to me. He just stared at me, which was the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened to me in my life. I almost pissed myself. An 18 year old pissing himself. Wasn't a minute. Wouldn't have been a good scene for him, but so I, I finally sneak up. They're about the 25th pick and stuff, and I sneak up, and I find the hot dogs. I grab two of them, and the first one I didn't even chew, right? It just went right down. And then <laughs> I got the second one in my mouth and, you know, mustard and everything on me, and all of a sudden the loudspeaker says, uh, with the 27th pick, Montreal Canadiens take Eric Natras, and I'm looking, right, because everybody calls me Rick, you know, except the government and my mother, right? So <laughs> – 
Eric Natra, shit, that's me, right? And I got this hot dog. I'm looking to throw it in the garbage can because I got to go downstairs to, you know, put the jersey on and all that stuff. So I run downstairs and all I can think of, my mom's going to be pissed because she hates the Habs, right? Because she was a Leaf fan, like, forever. Like, we originally from Toronto, listened to them on the radio. I mean, she loved the Leafs, right? So I'm thinking... I should be happy, but didn't they just win four Stanley Cups and they got the Iron Curtain on the back end there, search of the point, Larry Robinson, England. I said, I'm going to die in Halifax, and I didn't even know where Halifax was back then. You know what I mean? I knew it was on the East Coast. So we do the picture and everything, and then they're looking at my hair, and they're looking, <laughs> and they're making some suggestions, right? So I get drafted and everything, and then, you know, I was totally shocked. You know, Montreal Canadiens, 27th pick. You know, I just turned 18 about a week and a half, you know, uh, a week and a half before the draft. And so I finally get home because I want to get home. And I grew up in a very French, a lot of French, because it had the only public school and high school within 100 kilometers in the area in Hamilton that I grew up in. So a lot of Habs fans. So we had a lot of the Leafs against the Habs and road hockey. Vicious, right? Leafs won a lot. I'm just saying, okay? So at the end of the day, I was blocking shots back then, Ricky, so we were winning. Right? Okay? So at the end of the day. Well, you got, you got big feet for it. So yeah, well, they're not broken. Em. There's lots lot smaller than they used to be because they're all shattered now, Ricky. But uh, So I get home, and I can't find, like, my girlfriend, which was Jackie, which is my wife of almost 40 years, and. I don't know where they are. Of course, no cell phone. So, you know, a bunch of people came out on the street and my mom's on the porch and she sees me. She starts crying. And my Aunt Georgia, which is a French big Habs fan next door neighbor, I called her Aunt Georgia. Oh, your mom's so proud of you. Your mom's so proud of you. I said to her, Aunt Georgia, I think she's crying because she's pissed I went to the Habs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. She jokes about it, but I'll tell you a story later on that she. I know she was happy when I finally became a Leaf. But that was getting drafted to the Habs, and and I said this to many people, and I still say it even through some of the troubles I went through when I was in the organization, personally, my own troubles, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened to me. I, I got to work with uh, uh, Jean Perron, which was uh, – he was a great older defenseman, and he taught me a lot. Larry Robinson, I sat beside him in the, in the dressing room. I made them as a 20-year-old coming out of junior uh, you know, I played with Claude Royale was, you know, a little guy with one eye that could pass the puck better than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And I, I'm saying Gretzky and Lemieux, but he'd do it about 200 miles an hour. Okay. Oh, so yeah. he worked with me every day. Uh, Jacques Lapierre was like my father. So I was with him every day working four five, six hours on the ice in the gym. So it was the best thing and the hardest thing that ever happened. Well, we we do want to get into the yeah. situation that you had in Montreal. It started in 1982. We were going to wait. I want to get into your Montreal career first, but we yeah. might as well get let's get the yeah. elephant in the room out of the way. I'll let you pick the story up. But well, yeah, a lot of people don't really know the story. They Google it. Yeah. And I was a big drug yeah. trafficker, or whatever I was. Well, I was playing junior my last year, and. I got pulled over. I wasn't smoking in the car, but I was going to. So, you know, this is the truth, right? So a guy sticks his head in my window and shows me a gold badge. He says, how's your day going? I said, a lot better till I saw you, right? So he <laughs> drives me to the police station. This is RCMP. I guess I had walked into some type of stakeout they were doing at this restaurant bar. And I was looking for my friends, and they saw me rolling the joint in the car. 
and they followed me because I was going to work my way back to Hamilton after. Anyways, so he took me to the shop and said, you're going to have to appear in court. And I'm like, but I had 1.8 grams of marijuana. With it. You know, it had a little hashish in it. Everybody hashish, well, big deal, right? So anyway, so I'm like, I thought they're just going to get rid of it. And you know what I mean? Scare yep. me. And because it was barely two joints. Unfortunately, they were pissed because they never caught anybody. I guess they were staking this place out for about a week or so. I was their fish. So I hired a lawyer, tried to hide it from my mom and Billy Waters and the Montreal Canadiens because I went into camp, my rookie camp, with this hanging over my head. And I just worked, put my head down, worked my ass off, you know, played as good as I could. Everything they did, I did more. Everything they asked, I did more. So I played this over my head, and I'm this lawyer from Hamilton um, says, just give me 500 bucks, and we'll make it go away. Because they were dropping charges like crazy back then. This is 1981, right? Everybody's got to remember that. So anyways, they're not going to drop the charge. So he asked me for another 500 and another 500. Now I'm up to oh, two grand with him, and now he calls me and says, I'm sitting in an apartment, search the Vard's search Savard's buddies that we, Jackie and I rented. I get a call February 2nd. You got to be in Brantford. I said, well, we're going to be in Boston. I can't leave. So I had to make that decision. And I first called my mother and told her what was going on. Cause I knew that was going to break her heart, which was the toughest thing. Then the second toughest thing I ever had to do was talk to Billy Waters because they had a lot of faith in me and everything. And I felt I let everybody down. So Billy says, we're going to get rid of this guy and we're going to get another lawyer. So unfortunately, this guy wanted another $1,500. So it was $3,500 or he was going to take it public. So we gave him the $1,500. Billy had hired an ex-crown attorney at Toronto, which was about $400, just to open the door an hour. So he got it postponed to the summer. Uh, played through the season. Had a great playoff. Unfortunately, the team didn't have a great playoff. We got beat out by Buffalo uh, in five. But I really had a good good uh, run because, you know, Ricky knows guilt, right? Played a lot with guilt, and sometimes you play some really good games when you feel guilty. So, anyways, time for the court case to come. Certainly Montreal got involved at that point, and, uh, and then uh, – so we were bringing character references and people to come up, and we went to court in Brantford, and, you know, the courtroom was jammed, reporters, everything. And it's like, wow, okay, what's going on here? You know, this is a minor drug offense. So um, goes through, and I've got, you know, 30 people that are saying I'm a good kid, did a lot of community service stuff well before he got into trouble and has done more after, and they didn't want to hear anything, right? They, if they could have hung me, they would have. The judge said to me, and this is word for word, you're too young to take in consideration what you've done for your community, but old enough to know better. Guilty. So I got a $150 fine. Cost me $13,500 for lawyers. Jesus. For $150. So I go to camp for two joints, less than two joints. So I go to camp thinking, okay, you know, sure, there's going to be some backlash and all that kind of stuff, but I'll... If I got to work every day for 22 hours, I'll do it. You know what I mean? I'll just shut my mouth and do the work, right? Unfortunately, we, we training camp, everything's good. I'm in great shape because, again, I know, you know, <laughs> there's no coming in with some ripples down the middle there. So as long as they're the six-pack, everybody's happy, right? Not There's no eight-pack going to camp. So 
I get to camp. I'm in probably, you know, great shape. And, uh, and then I play five exhibition games and having a good preseason and, you know, and the response from, you know, people like in Montreal uh, was pretty good. You know what I mean? Thank yeah. God I couldn't read French. Uh, because I couldn't read the paper, so I assumed everything was good. <laughs> I didn't listen to the radio. So even when I did, I couldn't understand it. So, you know, I was like, so anyways, um, I get pulled well, Rick, over. Uh, Rick, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Rick, how were, your, how were your teammates towards you? Did they, were they well, they were older, you know, a lot of older guys, and they're like, you're getting fucked, and you're getting this, and, you're, you know, and, and that was good. A couple of them, you know, I don't want to mention any names, weren't great, but the majority, Larry, Gee. You know, Bob Ganey, I mean, those guys are unbelievable, right? I mean, Pierre Mondu, I mean, good. Rick Green, I mean, you know what I mean? I can't say – that's why I said yeah. Montreal was, you know, even after beating them for the Cup in 89, it, oh, you want to get back at them? I got nothing to get back at them, you know what I mean? They were the best thing that ever happened. Anyway, so I get pulled aside and Serge takes me up into the Reds in Montreal, the one corner, and he says to Ricky, uh, the league uh, – came down and said, uh, you're suspended for the rest of the year. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, you're suspended. I said, can they do that? He says, well, Eagleson said do whatever. And this, and then I'll tell you what Sir said to me 20 years later. But uh, he said, that's the case. And if you're good, you can stay here and work out and skate and travel with the team, but you can't play. So, you know, I'm 20 just – barely 21 years old. And I think my life's going to be over, right? Because I smoked two joints and, you know, and, and this is what I want to make clear. I made a mistake, but if you look at anybody that's ever been charged for less than two grams of marijuana in the history of narcotics and cannabis being illegal, I should pop up to the right. You know, I didn't pay Google, but I came to the top of the list anyways. Right. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm keeping my head down. I'm just trying to be positive and, you know, take what I got to take, right? So I work. And uh, Jacques LaPerriere and I worked like six. I'll tell you what my days were. So I go on the ice 45 minutes between before the team with the back, the goalie that didn't play the night before, hadn't played the game before. Yeah. We shoot three, 400 pucks, drag them from the right point, six feet into the blue line, short side, six inches, up, no higher than six inches off the ice. And Ricky could tell, even when I want to raise it now, I can't, right? So, <laughs> so I did that. Then we practiced back then, and Ricky can attest to that. We did three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour practices with bag skates and, you know, all that kind of, right? That's where your conditioning was. And I then I'd stay out with the black aces and get bagged again for another hour or so and do fundamentals when you're tired. So I'm on the ice five to six hours a day, and then I go get to have lunch, and then I got to come back and ride the bike for 10 miles plus do a bunch of exercises in the gym. So that was pretty much was my day for a year. So which I, you know, figured, hey, this is if this is paying my penance, then I'll do whatever I do, right? And come in with a smile because Montreal said, no, there's no moping, right? So you put yourself in this predicament. So make yeah. sure that you come with a good attitude. So I did my best with that. I had bad days. I was 21 years old, feeling sorry for myself sometimes, right? So anyways, the following, the next year, so I come back, I get it commuted to 55 games, right? Yeah. So I, uh, that and the exhibition. So you know, Eagleson didn't want to do anything, couldn't talk to anybody about this is not in the collective bargaining agreement. This is not anything that you can do. But there was Ziegler back then, right? So he was the king, as Ricky knows. You know, you can't say anything negative, right? So anyways, 
Red Fisher, which is a you know journalist for what yep. hundred years in Montreal. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure it was a hundred. He wrote for a hundred and drank for hundred and twenty. But anyway, <laughs> he really you know he didn't like rookies, right? He wouldn't talk to you know, the rookies ever. But he talked to me. He wrote an article that went over the wire, went North American, and made its way to Europe about how it was getting fucked by the NHL. You know, ruin a kid's career to be an, make an example. It wasn't like they were coming after me, but I fell in that. You know, I won that lotto. I've won a couple lottos that I wish I didn't enter into in my life. But unfortunately, I won those ones, right? So, you know, and how they were screwing me, and I just come off a good year. and Look what he did with that pressure and everything. Anyways, it was really good. and uh, But, you know, other than, you know, it was positive, there was nothing that came of it because what could come of it? So after that, during the course of the year, I went over to the border in Vermont because Montreal's close there, and I had to get photographed, mug shots, and fingerprinted four times that year so I could enter into the States. And I had a, a visa that was, uh, you know, uh, that was restricted, but I could do it with the team but no other time, right? Yeah. So I did that for the next three years. I had to go four times a year and get mug shots and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, when I went to Calgary, Cliff Fletcher – was able to get me a different type of waiver that I still have to this day. So the next year, 85, 84, 85, Serge comes up to me and says, Ricky, you could be sixth, seventh, eighth defenseman here, or you go down, remove the team from Halifax to Sherbrooke, and you'll play half an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, after two years of not playing, I played 79 games, I think, in two years or whatever, because of the suspension and just the way that Montreal did things. Right, that's how they did things. If uh, Larry Robinson could play in the minors for a couple of years and sit on the bench for one year in Montreal, mm -hmm. I think I could, you know, I could probably done three times as much as him. So, went down to Sherbrooke, had a great year, almost fifty points, another nineteen in the playoffs. We won the Calder Cup with Patrick Ross, Stephen Richier had a great year, and Serge came to me again and said, "Ricky Roncron had left Montreal. He was player development guy." And he had drafted me, Wickenheiser, Rick Walmsley, Mark Hunter, Podlo uh, Greg Puzlowski, uh, you name it. So he was building a team in St. Louis that was, you know, was threatened to be moved to Saskatoon. If everybody remembers that, in 1985, they were threatening yeah, to move sure from St. Louis. So he said, what do you want to do? You can, again, be fifth, sixth, seventh guy here. Chris Chelios, Tom Curvers, Peter Sabota, all these guys that had been coming in. You know, different style player than I was. So, you know, I looked at the depth and said, you know, I'm going to have a better opportunity to play. And that's when I made the decision. I thanked Serge and I thanked the Montreal Canadiens because Mr. Corey, Serge, oh, God, you name it. They were really good to me. I mean, they pushed me and put, tested me every day. But at the end of the day, it was something that, you know, the, for the most part I deserved and for the other part I needed. Well, I was going to ask you, Rick, you know, now that, I mean, that story, two things, I guess. Number one, well, let's get this one out of the way first. Yeah. Do you think that the suspension held you back somewhat or did that? Oh, of course. And then I, you know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect because, you know, then you get anxiety and I was this and I looked at other ways, not marijuana because I didn't want to get caught with that, but alcohol, I started drinking more and, you know, just 
just, you know what I mean? It wasn't a good situation and I played well, but I was never felt comfortable. And I always guys most, you know, saying shit and, you know, like now I was a cokehead and I was, you know, taking heroin and I'm like, but it was weed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, even back then, you know, but it was just weed and it wasn't very good weed, not compared to today's weed. So I well, no, where I'm going with that is, I mean, yeah. here's a team, here's a team that had a yeah. few years invested in you. You go yeah. to Sherbrooke, you light it up. Yeah. You're the leader on the team. They yeah. win the Calder Cup and they don't even give you a shot to play but they use kind yeah. of the excuse yeah, yeah. Exercise. but i think it was good for both of us you know what i mean worry. like montreal didn't have to you know worry about that anymore i could go yeah. to the states and play and how many people like people in missouri thought we were just from up north you know and i knew jim from alberta you know okay, what so i mean me, so me I, you know, and, and i lived in ontario <laughs> you know what I mean? let me let me stop you there and ask it is yeah. you leave an iconic franchise yes. for a well-regarded expansion team that yes. has been around for almost 20 years mm -hmm. they had some strong leadership brian they sutter did. bernie yeah. gilmore hunter guys you're very was with. there yeah yeah Anything seemed different to between the two organizations because Montreal stood out alone, as everybody said. Anybody we ever had on the show always tells us that. St. Louis had some great talent in those days. Yeah. But always tried to cut corners financially, as we hear from everybody. Yeah. They could almost never get out of their own way. I mean, this apparently was a real frustration for the players. Did you sense this right away? Oh, 100% because, you know, and, and this is what I know, and it, I'm, I'm assuming it's fact, but again, it, it, it who knows? But uh, you know, the league was didn't want the team to move, so a gentleman called Harry Arnes. We know him. Yep. Yeah, and Harry was AAA baseball, right? Minor league baseball. That's where he made his money. He made a shitload of it, right? Plus, he was in, in, in entertainment and shows and that later on. But so he bought the team, and my understanding is he bought it for three point three million at the time, three hundred cash and a promissory note for three million. So we, you know, get there and it's a bunch of guys. And I compare it to the Vegas team. You know, when it first came in, a lot of guys that played on the Montreal Canadiens, but were the sixth, seventh, eighth defenseman or the 10th, 11th, 13th, 12th, 13th forward that, you know, could probably could play at a higher level. I'm not mm -hmm. saying number one guys, but, you know, could play at a better position for more minutes. So we had those guys, a little bit of a chip, not big salary guys, you know, looking for contracts or just sign undervalued ones you know what i mean so we had that side of atmosphere and, and it, i think it's you know funny thing i'll think certain things hardships or disadvantages pull you together certainly as an organization or a team within the team because as ricky knows sometimes you're playing you better play for yourselves because at the end of the day you don't know what's going on around you and what they're going to do because you've seen some shit that you're shaking your head so like yeah. you know what i mean so we get to st louis and it was What's Rick, that? I went, Rick, I went through seven years of that here. I know. Wow. That's why I brought it up, Ricky. Yeah, I know, bud. I was we were we played you guys about 20 times a year, so I know what was going on in Toronto, bud. So so you know, we get I get to St. Louis and Dougie was there and he's just coming. He was a checker at that time with offensive skill that no one gave him credit for, but they loved how he was a checker. You know, Brian Sutter was a great leader. Bernie Federico was very underrated. I call, I think, my personal opinion, he's the guy that invented behind the net, not Gretzky, because Bernie Federico did that for years before him, and you know, and continued to do it the over a thousand assists. So, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I'm not comparing them, but you know, Bernie did a lot of work behind the net, and Gretzky got a lot of credit for the work he did behind the net. But Bernie, I felt, was you know one of the early guys that utilized that that spot. So we get there, and then we find out, you know, I need a new pair of skates. Wow, those are good enough. You know, what do you mean they're good enough? They're broken down. The rivets are rusted. 
Or can I get some sticks? Well, geez, you know, that one right there, glue the, you know, the fiberglass back on. And I'm thinking, well, am I playing for a shitty junior B team? And, you know, who knows where? And they got no money. So, you know, the little tape that, you know, the end of the roll that, you know, when you're a kid, you used every second, yeah. you know, uh, inch of it. But when you're in St. Louis, we were like, you throw it away and, you know, at the pro or junior level, Ricky, because there were stacks of it, you know, it was only quarter inch or a half an inch. We were taking that shit home because you couldn't go to a sports store. There was no sports stores in Missouri that sold hockey equipment, so you couldn't get tape. So we were like little kids putting it in our cars and bringing it in and not sharing it with anybody because we only had a little left. And Ricky knows what I'm talking about. Well, you're a kid, I can't. My dad will kill me. This is supposed to last all week. Oh, yeah. okay? <laughs> so we were like that. Dougie Gilmore, um, we go to Montreal. He can't get skates, right? So he goes to Montreal and pays, buys them himself because the Bauer, the guy drives him up from Kitchener, takes them out of the box. They get the, you know, just do one quick share. And he wears them that night. In a game, but I think he got two goals and two assists, and you know, to shut uh, whoever the goal scorer was on the team down that time. So we couldn't get anything. It was funny. It became one of those things—a rallying point that we just joked about and everything. But what we did have is lots of beer from Anheuser Busch. So, <laughs> yeah, we're way in the options. Uh, fuck the tape. I like the beer. So at the end of the day, you know, we'll get Velcro straps like the old ones when we were kids. They hit you with the hooks on them, anyway. So it was just, you know, it was funny. And then team parties we had, or we pizza parties you know what i mean we're having pizza parties for you know the end of the year we one goal away from you know going to the stanley cup final or two goals because we needed to tie and go up we're having a pizza party at the end of the year okay so <laughs> we have a great season like for a team 500 just you know when rick ricky can attest to this clutch and grab at, as the best right back then baby so Cross-checking and hanging on to your sweater. That's what I was good at. So at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I felt those paws on the, me a few times. Yeah. Yeah, come you back know, here. Come you're back that here. big coho too, Ricky. You got a few tattoos on your back because of that coho. I'll tell you right there. You couldn't break my sticks, but it was a tree outside. You took the leaves off would tape the end up, and I was good to go, right? Well, that was the same as mine. Your arms probably got a few of my scars on there. Oh, man, I know. Like his, even today, I'm like, Ricky, how do you use those things? I get pop my elbow out if I ever use my stick. So we go through the playoffs. We beat Minnesota, which is a funny story because I forgot we even played them 20 years later. And I'm watching the classic NHL classics. And I'm looking 85, 86, Minnesota against St. Louis, game five. Like, shit, I played on that team. So <laughs> I don't remember. So we go to Toronto and we beat them in seven that year, too. Hey, by the way, are you sure it was only one joint, yeah. Uh, Rick? Yeah. Well, no, no, that was in the States. You couldn't find good stuff. But at the end of the day, we played Toronto in the second round because you used to play yeah. out of five, right? Yeah. Uh, or out of three, three out of five in yeah. the first round, the quarterfinal. And then we played uh, Toronto and they we won in, in seven games. Seven and then we, games, yeah. yeah, and we went to Calgary and lost in seven games. So we're, it's a funny situation. Game six, people can look at it. One of the best comebacks in playoff hockey. We were down three goals with a couple minutes to go, probably three or four minutes. We ended up tying it and winning in the game. They call it Miracle Monday. So game six, we ended up winning it. We charter a plane, or the team does, to go to Calgary. It's like 110 degrees in St. Louis. Like, I'm not joking. It's May. 10th or 11th oh, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Guys, I lost 17 pounds that game. I'm not joking. It was so friggin' hot. You couldn't even have a beer after the game. It was so hot, Ricky. <laughs> 
you're that dehydrated. So hey, you I, know how hot it is. I, like, that's hot. I was there in May when we played you guys in the round before well, that. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. It was degrees. like the ice was like slush. So it was it was a grind. Oh, so was, we Miami Vice is in that back then. You know, the cotton suits and the skinny tie and no socks with the loafers and everything. And we're like, shit, you know, it's May 12th. So it's what's Calgary's got to be like 80 degrees or whatever, right? Because no one you go to go on the weather channel, there's no weather channel. So we're all dressed like this, no overcoats, no socks. We fly in on a charter on the 12th, we'll open the door, there's 12 inches of snow. It had one of those Calgary, Alberta, you know, flash storms that come in. So we're getting off the, the plane with no socks on, with white loafers and <laughs> oh my god so we finally get there the next day it was like 70 degrees out and it was a flood because of all the snow melting but that was calgary so we lose 2-1 unfortunately uh dougie hits the post with under 10 seconds the deflection we lose 2-1 you know so we're flying back then we're supposed to, we've got a charter because if we win we're going to fly directly to montreal for the stanley cup final so we lose they cancel the charter to save money. Oh, no. We have to find our own way home. I'm 23 years old, and I've got this sixth most seniority on the team, Ricky. I got like 150-something games, and I got the sixth most seniority on the team. So I get home the first day. It took some of our guys two days to get home back to St. Louis. So that's what I say. And so we have an end of the year party. You would think, you know, losing the Camel Conference final game seven, at least we can get some chicken on a stick or something. We had pizza. That's what we had. We had a shitload of Budweiser, though, but we had pizza. <laughs> well, so, that's the key. That's the key right there. <laughs> well, they knew exactly how to keep us happy, right? Just give them beer and throw chips at them later. They'll be fine, right? So, guys, that year, Mark yeah. Hunter scored 45 goals, and I don't know, if, and I don't want to say this, but he was, you know, there was 10 or 12 games to go or 8 or 10 games to go to try to get 50. Unfortunately, he didn't get his 50, but he got a bonus, and his bonus check bounced. Oh. Rick Swamsley, one of his paychecks bounced. We didn't get reimbursed till the following November. Once the gate receipts came in, then they reimbursed us for our tickets. I guess so he was using was the his, environment with, you know. He, he was using the same account as the WHA guys. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Harry, you know, ended up, I play that in the year. Ricky, you're part of the family. I've got a contract coming up. I figured, shit, you know, I'm third guy around the third defenseman. Rob Ramage was there, you know, I'm third, fourth guy playing a shitload, scored 30 points, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is I'm going to have a good year, right? So we play the next year. We lose to the Leafs in six games in the in the semifinals. Yeah. And then uh, I'm negotiating a contract. But first they're saying, Ricky, buy a house. You're part of the St. Louis Blues, right? So Jackie and I buy our first home. We're 23 just before we're 24 years old. We're negotiating my contract, and they want to pay me 100 and a quarter, and I want 135. They trade me. Four Saturdays to the day we moved in our house to Calgary oh, because I perfect. over ten thousand bucks. Just had our second child, Christy. She's two months old. Brand new house. Trade me because of ten thousand. So it's a funny story, really, because my buddy had come down to see the house, and we just had our second child, and they just had their first. 
they were sure the daughter was in between our son Justin. There's three years difference between him and his sister. So, anyways, they come and visit. So I'm going to take my buddy to a Cardinals game because they had a pretty good team back then, right? Baseball and. So we'd stayed up late drinking and stuff like that. So I got an ensuite in my house that we'd never, I didn't know what an ensuite was, right? So now I got a shitter right beside <laughs> my bed. This is perfect, right? So perfect world. It's a Saturday morning. I'm reading the comics in my new ensuite, having a dump, and the phone rings, and I can hear it. And Jackie, my wife yells, Rick, the phone. I said, well, tell him to call him back. I'm in the bathroom. And then she yells again a couple seconds later, Rick, the phone. I said, tell him I'm having a shit. I'll call him back in a couple minutes, right? <laughs> My buddy comes, knocks on the door. Rick, it's your boss. And I'm like, oh, it's draft day to day, right? <laughs> so I just give it one quick oh, – I didn't even pull my pants up, but I just walked to the phone. Hi, Ron. Hi, Rick. Well, we made a great deal. You're going to go to Calgary for – third and fourth pick or fourth and fifth or whatever in money they got 150 grand too for me the cheap pricks wouldn't even pay me 135 but they yeah. got 150 <laughs> and it's gonna be great and jackie and i had painted and hung walls and there in this four months and that's why i never paint again right because i did that our first home and we got fucking traded four saturdays to the day with it right and then the market crashes in 1987 so this was a great yeah. experience of buying your oh, first perfect. home so I say to Jackie, she says to me, what's going on? I said, pack your bags. We're going back to Canada. And I just finished two years of trying to liquidate myself out of Canada. So my tax situation, like that crushed me too. So it wasn't a very good. So, you know, that attitude was they had traded for Joey Mullen. I was the next guy. The end of uh, Calgary ended up trading for Mark Hunter, ended up trading for Rob Ramage, ended up trading for Rick Wamsley, for Brett Hall, those two guys yeah. in 88. The uh, uh, What do you call it? No trade, the trade date, whatever, trade day. And uh, Dougie came in that summer. So we ended up having six, seven guys from that St. Louis Blues team that went on to win the Stanley Cup in 89. But my experience in St. Louis, I'll tell you right now, guys, all that that went on, we had a great bunch of guys. You know, Ricky, and that's what I was talking. It was us mm -hmm. against the world because we can't even get friggin' tape, right? We're having pizza parties, okay? We're having pizza parties at the NHL level, right? My kids' hockey parties, they had better food. Anyways. <laughs> so, better food, yeah. Yeah, so anyways. Well, I, can tell you, I, I can tell you right now, those teams you guys had during those years were very, very tough. We worked hard, right, really Brian? Hard. Sutter, right? We worked hard. We worked extremely hard. <laughs> And I had to play against Brian Sutter. You yep. talk about a, a, a tough game. Oh, yeah. And we never had a fight, but all no. the games that I had to play, Compete. I had to play against Brian Sutter. And I got to tell you, at the end of those games, I was done. Like, I was beat. Yeah. Oh, like, well, we, know, we knew, like, Ricky, there wasn't many, and I don't know disrespect to anybody, but you were the biggest threat at that time, and so what do you do to that? You try to eliminate it, right, any way yeah. you can within the rules and maybe a little on the other side of the rules. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, the, you know what I mean? It's about winning, Ricky. I'll apologize later when you're getting your knees, uh, you know, all surgically repaired. <laughs> so one last thing about the St. Louis stuff. So, you know, St. Louis was one of those – you know, it's one of those, that's why I say the Vegas thing, you know what I mean? Like you get the Vegas thing and, and we, you know, and Ricky knows this, you want to prove yourself. And sometimes you get complacent or sometimes it gets stale or something, you know, not many guys can stay at a high level in one place consistently. You look at Hyman in Toronto, right? One of the biggest thing that he said 
he wasn't given a discount. We know that. But what also was a new environment. Maybe you get a little stagnant. You know, you get yeah. put into that role that you, you know, maybe you haven't been able to expand because it's been successful for you here. But you can expand that somewhere else. And I think, you know, we were those guys in St. Louis and 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 uh, and it was you know one of those one of those times that was uh, you know one of the best things that uh, again another opportunity that wasn't the best but it, we worked it out to make it better than anything you know what I mean so so walking through the Stanley Cup here in Calgary yeah. well you know and there's the thing like and this is what I talk about when I do these corporate things because everybody wants to be the goal scorer right but there's only so many goal scorers and good ones that are consistent Ricky was one of them right but what can you do to be successful. My job was to move the puck and put it on guys like Ricky stick, not in their feet, not up their ass on their stick. Right. And when he made a mistake with it, I'd go get it back and give it to him again. You know what I mean? Oh, the fifth or sixth <laughs> time when he fucked up with it, I said, that's it. You're fucking cut off. Now. <laughs> get it in deep. I want to get off. Well, actually, Rick, before yeah. you get too much into yeah. it, let's 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 just do a little comparative here. You okay. you've gone from Montreal to St. Yeah. Louis. Now the leadership you've already touched on in, yeah. in Montreal. Both are hugely strong. Yeah. With LaFleur and so on. And then yeah. you talked about in Montreal. We talked about St. Louis. Now you go to Calgary, yeah. you're looking at guys like Pablinski, McDonald, yeah. Hunter, there's Gilmore again, Brad yeah. McCrimmon, new. Well, guys. eventually, like they're building that, right? That all was three guys, years, right? Mike, as they're all coming in, yeah, and you're looking at that. Did you start thinking to yourself, boy, like here's this? I knew that. I knew that when I was on the shitter and answered the phone. We're gonna win a Stanley Cup. We just played him, you know, yep. a year earlier, and and gave him everything we got. And we believed that we slowed them down that Montreal that year. Didn't yep. really. I'm saying it's tough to win no matter what, but I think we, you know, we they underestimated us, right? And I think that's one of the reasons Cliff brought us in because maybe less talented, but bigger drive right you know what i mean than some guys that they had in the lineup and and but i just want to talk about one last thing in the st louis era so during those playoffs yeah and this is the 86 season jock demers is our coach right right and yeah. um mm -hmm. oh what's his name was uh off the record not off the record but Sportsnet. now doug mcclain is our assistant coach big glasses and everything right so we, we're going into the rink near the end of the year. He didn't come on the ice. Barkley Plager, unfortunately, God rest him. What a great man. I had him for two years. Unfortunately, he was sick with brain tumors. And, you know, the last year, that 86, 87 season was not good. He passed away 87, 88 season. Actually, all-star weekend of 88. And, uh, and uh, so Jock is not coming on the ice because he feels if – he goes on the ice and Bark's going to go on the ice. So literally we had no coach from January 19th, right? Brian Sutter was running practices. We were pushing Rob Ramage, guys like that. We were pushing, you know, doing lines, doing everything. So we go on this run at the end of the year to, you know, even make the playoffs and then the run in the playoffs there. And he, we walking into the rink at the checker dome, the old checker dome, and we'd see Jocka like at the other end of the rink on a payphone. And we're like, he's got a phone in his office. Like even back then they had phones in their office. And we're like, whatever, we're in Detroit. It's on a payphone at the opposite end of the dressing room. We're in Minnesota. Like, what's going on with this? Even on the road, you get a phone. That's all you got. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, sound, it sounds like slap shot. Well, <laughs> we find out after the season, we have that great run. Smartest coach in hockey, takes a lot of has-been players, almost a goal to the Stanley Cup. 
all this. And then, you know, that comes out that he had verbally agreed to a new contract with St. Louis when he'd signed with, he was talking to Detroit the whole time, negotiating his contract, four year deal, million bucks, 250 a year at that time was, you know, my highest paid coach in the NHL. Hey. Right. And he's negotiating with Detroit while we're playing in the playoffs. He can deny it all he wants, but we know that's exactly what happened. So it's funny because four years after, he gets he signed a four year deal in Detroit, and I had to bring this up. He signs a four year deal, two and a half years in, or whatever it was. He gets fired, and he goes on TV and he says, "I can't believe where the loyalty's gone in the game." I was fucking put my foot through the TV. Jackie yelled at me, "Don't you kick that TV!" I was gonna boot him right in the head. So that's a lot of people don't realize that that run was pretty much the team. You know what I mean? And Bark yeah. would come in and talk and jock would and get we've made up since then. And you know, he knows how I feel about some of the things that he did to the younger and I say younger guys. I was 23, 24, but Ricky knows they f- top five guys, they would blow them. Middle 15 guy, middle 12 guys don't even know. We're like the middle incomers and you know, do the work, pay the taxes, but don't get any credit, right? And then they've got the five percent at the bottom, you know, the five guys, four to five guys that they shit on to see if they can get them to quit. And shit on, shit on, shit on. So we had our run-ins with that because Ricky knows I'm a team guy, right? And I if you're abusing somebody, I don't give a shit who you are, right? You know what I mean? At the end of the day. So we had some words, but we sort of made up since then. But no, people don't realize how that season went and what Brian Sutter and Bernie Federico and Rob Ramage and those guys meant to us guys because of the lack of leadership maybe at the highest point, but but it wasn't – we didn't struggle with leadership out on the team level. Uh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, but, you know, that – I think that right there says what it's like, the the hockey players and what they're made of, I think. When you're going through all that adversity up top and you know i've been through it myself yeah but you find a way to get through it and together and and that's the thing i think when you when you know when you're talking about that it was a team that got together and just said you know we're not going to let this get out of hand let's just go out and get our do the do, do the work Ricky. you know and, what i mean and, and what we could have you know yeah. and the conditions listen i love st louis and this is what it's people don't know how could you love that scenario because it was the guys we were close you know we had parties together. Everybody showed up. The wives got along, you know. So, Mike, going back to your thing, so getting traded to Calgary, I understood that I'm going to have to fight every day to be in the lineup again because of the talent level. But I also knew that these guys are going to, you know, probably going to have the best opportunity for me personally to ever win a Stanley Cup. So what do I have to do to be part of the team? And what do I have to do to be not only part of the team as 25 guys, but be part of the team where they need, they want me on the ice. So, you know, that was a challenge because, you know, Cliff was great, but one of the things I say about Cliff Fletcher and I, you know, everybody's got their own experience with guys. Cliff was honest with me. So we'll go right to the Stanley cup season because I played my first year quite a bit. And then I started having knee problems, Mike. So I was missing, you know, the first time was eight days. The next time was 21 days. The next time was 42 days. The next time was 60 days. I think I had five surgeries in Calgary. And so, you know, when we're winning, we won a lot of hockey games. I think out of the five, four and a half years I was there, we won three president's trophies. If I'm not, we came in second two or three times. So, you know, out of that four and a half times, there was 
I just added up six. So there you go, stay in school. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, we had a very good team, p- top power play, penalty killing. So I wasn't going to be on the peak uh, on the power play. Like I got on some second uh, line minutes in St. Louis, which that's why I got up to 30, 28 points because I got some opportunity to play on the power play. And Ricky can attest to that. So I'm in Calgary and what am I going to do? So I'm going to be a, a shutdown guy. And I'm going to be a, a penalty killer because that's how I can get the most minutes, you know, out of from Al McGinnis, Gary Suter, Brad McCrimmon. I mean, Rob Ramage. I mean, the list was on, you know what I mean? So how do I fight to stay in the lineup? So, you know, through injury and then success, sometimes you, you come back what you think when you're ready, but they don't think you're ready and they're winning, you know. So I'm not the goal scorer and I'm not the slap shot from the power play. So I'm going to buy, I have to wait my time a little longer than most people. And I guess that's who I was. You know, I was that guy that we're going to give this guy a shot. But when we go into Philly or Boston and the playoffs come, Ricky, you're going to play a lot. But we want to see this kid, what he can do. So you're going to take a night off. Now, what do you how say? Was, now, how was the city through the celebration? And uh, oh, how- unbelievable. It was unbelievable. So, you know, the thing is, huge support from the fans like the see red electric Ave, all that kind of stuff so yeah i just want to tell the one story about cliff though so it's coming close to the end of the year about 30 games left and i haven't you know i missed 28 because of my knee and now i missed another five six because of we're winning i think we only lost like three or four games out of that 40 you know almost 40 games that i missed so it's hard to and i get that but you still get frustrated so i'm I'm with the guys, and I'm working my ass off because I know this year's the year. So I'm in the gym every day, riding the bike, getting bagged, doing extra work because I want to be ready when it's time to get going here. So finally the guys are, you know, we had a great bunch of guys too. Like, I mean, you need to have a great bunch of guys that were more interested in winning than getting that goal or, you know, doing this or doing that. We really had that. So we competed like Dana Mers and myself and a couple other guys, and we were buddies. But we competed every day, like because we wanted to be in the lineup. And if we weren't, we made sure that we told them, whoever that was, that we're supporting them and you know, good luck. So, well, and our wives got together. Ownership took care of the women, you know, they knew because we traveled a lot. So they would bring them together once or twice a month to and get babysitters for them to have a spa day or take them out for lunch just to make sure Cliff Fletcher felt if you're happy at home, you're happy at the rink. So, anyway, so. Their boys are bugging me. Now you got to go talk to them. You're working your ass off. You deserve to play. You know, they're getting me going. <laughs> so I'm like, fucking right. I'm going The cliff for me. I'm going to tell them exactly how I feel. So I, after the game, because I was out, I said, cliff, can we talk in the morning? He says, yeah, be at my place at eight o'clock. Right. At, at his office. So I go out with the boys. We have a bite to eat, having a few beers. And I'm going to tell him this. And I'm going to tell him that he's good. I don't know what he's going to say, but I don't give a shit anymore. Right. So, I wake up in the morning, and they're like, oh, shit. Why did I tell Cliff that I wanted to have a meeting? Now my balls are about this big, right? They're not they're not big anymore, right? The beer's wearing off, worn off. So I get down in the rink, and he's about 15 minutes late. So I'm, like, sweating, you know, sitting in his office, and, and I'm waiting for him. I'm like, why did you do this? What do you, you know, what? So he says, hey, Nat, he comes in. Sorry, sorry I'm late. And he says, uh, you know, I know why you're here, but can I say one thing first, a couple things first? I said, Cliff, you're the president and GM. You can say whatever you want, but he says, Ricky, Nat, he says, 
we know you're working hard and you're ready to go and you've been nothing but great. He says, I can't promise you you're going to be in the lineup tomorrow, but you'll, you're going to get your shot. And we think you're ready. And, you know, I think you're ready. And he says, can I say one more thing to you? And I said, sure. He says, you know, I've always followed by this rule. And I said, what rule is that, Cliff? He says, if you got the balls to ask the question, you better have the balls for the answer. So I sit there and I think about it. He says, now what do you want to say? I said, nothing. Everything's good, Cliff. See you later. <laughs> so I always I love that one. If you got the balls for the to ask the question, you better have the balls for the answer. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to know what he's gonna tell me. <laughs> so week later, I'm in the lineup, never came out, played all the way through game six of Montreal, played 18 minutes, and you know, we won the cup. So it was, you know, and then again, the, the lesson to corporate or kids, you never know the situation, but just keep working because you never know when it's going the door's going to open. And if you're not ready, yeah. that door might be never open again, Ricky. You know what I mean? So make sure you're ready. So yeah. that was, and winning the cup in Calgary was like awesome, but it was like the, compared to today, we don't get a million fans like Chicago does, but we had about 300,000 people for a city of, at that time, what was it, half a million, 600,000? Yeah. Half the city showed up in surrounding areas. But I think the biggest thing there, and a lot of people don't realize it, is Harley Hotchkiss, our ownership, Harley Hotchkiss, the Seaman Brothers, uh, Margaret, uh, you've got uh, Norm Green came in later, Normie Wong. They were like a family. They treated Mr. and Mrs. Hotchkiss, Harley and Becky, are two of the nicest people. Unfortunately, unfortunately Harry's, um, Harley's not with us anymore. He's been gone for quite some time. But they would bring you into their house and call you. Their, uh, we were their boys. And they had a big family. Self-made millionaire in oil. He owns a big tree factory. I mean, this guy was the expansion guy for the NHL. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame as a builder, but – People, these people were beautiful, and all our ownership was like they cared about us, as I said, about the family, about the women, because they knew we were doing eight day, 10 day. I don't know how many road trips we were on back then, because you know what I mean. They were take, making sure the girls were all right, the wives, the girlfriends, the fiancés, whatever, the kids, you know, any problems they could call the rink and it would be taken care of like that. So they really believed in family and they brought it from the ownership right down. And I think it was effective in so many ways on how we looked at how we wanted to have success as a group, how we wanted everybody to have success, but we understood only so many people could be on the ice or on the bench at that one time. And I think it was probably one of the best teams I've ever seen deal with that kind of stuff. But the end result was, you know, after the Stanley Cup, it sort of blew up a little bit in regards to getting rid of guys, but to sacrificing for the greater good, right? So, and I know it sounds a little corny, but at the end of the day, I, I lived it and I saw it and we still see yeah. it because when you win, you truly win. And Cliff said this and it wasn't his quote, but it's from anybody. You know, you couldn't see guys from 25 years ago and you're a champion. You're bonded for life, bud. You know, you're a bonded for life. And, oh. um, you know, I don't care if you didn't hang out with the guy when you see him. Like I was just in Alberta and saw another 12 of those guys. It was like yesterday. Well, I was just going to say, so as it started to unravel yeah. and your buddy again, who you've been yeah. with on two teams now, yeah. uh, Mr. Gilmore, yeah. is the center of it. You know where I'm going with this. The big yeah. trade. How did it all unfold? Well, it's, how did you find out about it and all that stuff? Well, what Cliff had left, right? I think 91 yeah. was gone, right? Became the president of GM of Toronto. Yeah. Uh, um you know, Riser, Doug Risebrow, longtime Montreal Canadian, 
long times Calgary frame, uh, Flame, was assistant coach. He worked his way up the ladder. And uh, Riser had played with some of us, played against a lot of us. He wanted to put his stamp on the team. Plus the five guys that left, we were all looking for contracts, right? Instead of signing me to another contract, he signed me to a double eagle, which meant they doubled my salary and I became a free agent that following summer. And Dougie was looking for you. They could have signed Dougie for five years at three million bucks. Eh? No, I think he at the time, I think he wanted eight hundred thousand or whatever. Yeah, he got three million from Toronto. I think he wanted five years at eight hundred thousand or something. And Riser didn't want to give it to him. McCallum was up for in another year. Wamsley was up. Kent Manorville was still a prospect, right? He was coming just coming out of college. So again, I was out with the I had a broken foot and crushed instep on my left foot. Don Cherry did a big piece on my skates. I don't know if you remember that, Mike, but uh I was making those custom shop blockers before. Another thing, Ricky, I should have patented, but I didn't, right? I went to have a beer instead. Ah, that's good enough. So, anyway, so uh you know, Dougie's this is around Christmas time and all that kind of stuff. And we knew there was a freeze finally back then, finally in the 90, 91, 92, right? Finally, you couldn't get traded over the Christmas holidays. <laughs> Thank God. So Dougie comes up to me and we're close, right? We played in Calgary and St. Louis together, or excuse me, St. Louis. And he says, Nat, I'm not going in tomorrow. So this is New Year's Day. Yeah. Get ready. I said, get ready for what? He said, we're going to Toronto. I said, fuck you. He says, we're already on. <laughs> you don't even know it, right? So <laughs> sure enough, I get a call. We get New Year's Day off. I get a call. I'm supposed to go into the rink uh, on the 2nd, get the call in the morning. We've been traded, the big trade, right? So got traded to Toronto. I was excited. I know my mother was excited because now I got to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, D Dougie was excited because, you know, now he could – I mean, Dougie was – you look at that Stanley Cup team, how many MVPs we could have had. Al McGinnis won, but Mike Vernon, if he doesn't stop Schmiel and Tony Tanny and Vancouver in the front, if uh, Joel Otto doesn't kick the overtime winner in in game seven to beat Vancouver, <laughs> that was 48 points less than us, we don't win the Cup. Uh, you look at, you know, how Lanny came in and out. I mean, the leadership, everything. But you look at Al McGinnis, you look at Newendike, you look what Dougie did. You know, Dougie Gilmore, like he scored the big goals, was unbelievable against them in the Montreal series, as many people were. But we could have probably had four or five legitimate, you know, Conn Smythe guys, right, on that team. So Dougie was looking to expand his role not because he was a checker on our team, even though he got 80-something points. Yeah. <laughs> he was our checker out of the, all the centermen. <laughs> So that's what people don't understand. Our our fourth line scored 32 goals or something like that. Okay, you know what I mean? Like that's a lot. back then, Ricky, that was a a career for some of these fourth liners. Well, what that is is success to win. If yeah. your if your fourth line can do that, <laughs> and and be good defensive players and punch the were. shit out of a lot of people. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Dougie was, yeah, you know, interested too. in doing more, Mike. You know what I mean? And that yeah. trade, wow, the rest is history, right? He came to he came to Toronto, you know, showed very well the half a year we had. We were really hot that half a year. Um, and then unfortunately for me, I came with a broken foot and I waited a week. Uh, and my mom was hounding me, like the leaf, the Habs are coming into the Maple Leaf Gardens and you got to play as a uh, have. I want to see you play as a leaf against the halves. And I'm like, okay, I can freeze it. 
So I get uh, Chris Broadhurst and those guys to freeze it up. And, oh, my God, have you ever had freezing in your feet? It's like they peel the yeah. skin back and pour boiling water between the meat and your skin. Oh, my. Fr you can feel it moving through, burning. So I got them to do that so my foot would stay numb, and we built an apparatus to hopefully absorb some of the shock because I guess I wasn't smart enough still to get out of the way when I had a broken foot. So there was concern I might, uh, you know, forget. So we go out there. We're playing the Habs, and my mom's happy. So I'm happy because, you know, if mom's happy, you know, the greatest thing on earth I was, I could eat shit and she'd say it was good for you, right? So at the end of the day, I get out there, we're killing a penalty. Stefan Richet winds up. I go down. I block the shot. He breaks the three toes on my right foot. This is my left foot that's already broken. I got three toes that are broken. So my first 30 games in Montreal, I wore Hugo Boss, $1,500 suits with Bauer flip-flops through the airport because I couldn't put shoes on. So I had to get my feet frozen for almost, you know, two months to put them in the skates. So it's funny because my buddies, hey, shit, we thought you were a little faster. And I'm like, fuck you, right? I got two broken feet, right? <laughs> so at the end of the day, you know, the Leaf experience was awesome. But, you know, as Hyman had said, and Ricky can attest to that, while you're a little farther away, Ricky, you know, from being this round area where you grew up, People coming out of the woodworks, Mike. You know what I mean? Bugging me for tickets, bugging me for this, bugging me for that. Try, and, he, and I love my family, but the, the pressure from my family to, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I've become a free agent, uh, a group six. And that's after I signed that double eagle for Montreal or with Calgary. And they said uh, Cliff was in China for some reason, doing some stuff over there. He was gone a month, and Billy wanted to negotiate. And Ricky Kern, you know, Billy Waters had stepped down as an agent and become the assistant GM in Toronto, and Ricky Kern had taken over from Billy Waters when, when I left Eagleson. So we're negotiating. Billy only wants to give me a three-year deal, only wants to pay me 300 They just signed Jamie McCallum for four-something. I said, I know he's better than me, but he's not that much better than me. Um, I've got six teams that are willing to give me four-year deals at four fifty five hundred a year. Uh, thought we were joking, and I said, you know, I'd like to talk to Cliff. Well, Cliff was in China. I said, well, that's unfortunate because I'm going to sign with Philly. Unfortunately, back then we didn't get to do the tours and we didn't do anything. Uh, you know, first time I ever made that kind of money. I was making more money in my last couple of years than I did in my first ten. You know, type of thing. So maybe yeah. I pulled the trigger a little quick on. You know, the most cash, didn't look at their organization. They did get Eric Lindos, but they were struggling, you know, in a lot of areas. It uh, wasn't a good fit. Bobby Clark came back, and we didn't see eye to eye because, again, I had blew my knee out for the sixth or seventh time. And then I blew my back out, broke my foot, and broke my wrist in 14 months. I was there. Mark's wasn't a very good idea. In 14 good months, start. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So – you know, I left Toronto and then, uh, you know, because my mom understood, but at least I got to wear the jersey for her, and she's so proud of that. That and the Team Canada. The Stanley Cup's up there. I'm not sure if it's better with the Leafs or Team Canada that I played for, but she still was proud of those three things and, you know, the experience. But hindsight, you know, and not because they won, but to be honest with you, I was drinking a little bit too much and, you know, wasn't enjoying I was hurt a lot, so I was trying to make excuses on – couldn't work out as much as I wanted, and I was depressed. So, you know, those type of things. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that ran through the same story. And and mentally I was, you know, I was getting tired after 11 years because, you know, the last four or five I had missed 
half of the season because of injury and worked so hard for rehab and trying to get back. And it was just, you know, I, I, I weakened physically and mentally. And, and that's, you know, pretty much when I decided that it was time to leave the game. Well, we're going to, you just, you've been a fantastic guest today, by Thank the way, you. Rick, and uh, we're going on, but we're a little over, so we're going to oh. get extended here today, if you don't mind. Oh, we're okay, sure. I, I thought today. you were going to tell me I was talking too much, but. No, 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 we love this stuff. No, 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 I know no. Squid wants to ask a crowd, but I got we're, a few, we got a few left you want to get to you. So okay. Rick, you lead it off. I got a few for you to finish off with. Okay. Well, Rick, I want to I want to get want you to get into what you're doing now. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I know you and I did a thing yep. up north, which was yep. we. I had a blast. I, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was fantastic. It did. It we went. We do a lot with the indigenous people in yep. the country. So I, I want you to to kind of walk us through yeah. uh, what you're doing and the guys you're doing it with and that sort of. Thing. Sure, Ricky. So you know, it's funny because everybody asks, "Are you indigenous?" And I'm not. I not. I came up and, you know, and we all have our stories about how we grew up uh, and loving mother, you know, didn't know my father's, um, you know, and I didn't lose it. So I have a story about taking the bus and, you know, people helping with sticks and helping with everything. So a guy I got drafted in the same year to Montreal was John Shabbat. John played in the queue, very gifted, still smooth as smooth at 60 years old because we're both, he's the same age as me. So he was drafted a couple, he was the 40th pick. Montreal had two second rounders. They had Doug Wickenheiser in the first uh, pick overall. And then two second rounders was myself first and then Johnny Shabbat. And then, uh, so Johnny's indigenous. He's Ojibwe, I believe, from out of the Ottawa area. And, and Johnny and I had kept in touch as he played. He finished up in uh, Detroit, but played in Pittsburgh, went to Europe and played a ton of hockey. And so Johnny's been doing this program, uh, you know, uh, First Assist, it's called. And he goes, he's been traveling to all these northern indigenous schools or communities all over Canada and in the States and done some stuff in Europe. And Johnny just talks to them about, you know, opportunity. And I think uh, he, he called me up and said, Nat, we'd love to you to come. He knows I'm good with – I love kids and, you know, good with people. And I can pretty much talk to anybody no matter what, you know, what your upbringing is or what your status is financially or whatever. So he wanted me to come. So, you know, that was – I was part of that team with uh, Brian Trache. As we know, Brian, most decorated Indigenous hockey player in the world. You know what I mean? He's in five Hall of Fame, seven, seven Stanley Cups. You know, so that you know what kind of player, top 100 guy in the National Hockey League, uh, deservedly so. Aaron Asham had just retired because we've been doing this now for about 12 years, right? 10, 12 years. So Aaron Asham, guys like Blair Atchiman, uh, Denny Lambert, the tough guy out of Ottawa. Um, oh, few other guys that you know that would rotate in and rotate out but we're mostly the core those guys right there with johnny so we've been traveling to communities a lot of communities unfortunately with covid we didn't do that ricky and i were fortunate enough to get to cochran in between the break before the last shutdown in april of last uh, before the summer so We've been dealing with uh, going into these communities in the Yukon. We're up in the Yukon quite a bit. We've been to every community there. We've been to four or five communities in Northwest Territories, Labrador, Newfoundland, uh, Alberta. We haven't done much stuff in Vancouver, and we're hoping to expand into there. What we do is we go in and try to – If the biggest issue is we wanted to get equipment and certain supplies to kids, but unfortunately getting stuff into these communities that are – 
you know, taking bush planes, right? We're taking, uh, they call them uh, Cessna caravans, which are nine-seaters, technically 11 with the two, the pilot and the co-pilot, but I was the co-pilot a lot, Mike. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I sat up there, and I'm like, if you're going down up here, do you want to live or do you, you know, or you just get it over with? Because you ain't going anywhere if you live. So we've traveled to all, you know, we've traveled to where the ice road to Delaney, you know, uh, Northwest Territories, the Ice Road Trucker, come, you know, that's where they filmed that. Like, as I yeah. said, so we've been to Nain, Labrador. We've been to Fogo Island. We've been everywhere. So we go into these communities, certainly with, you know, speaking with the elders because, you know, that these communities are very big on elders and respecting that, which is you should be no matter what. I don't care where you come from or what language you speak or what ethnicity you are. So – we go to the schools and we have do an assembly or, you know, and we talk to the kids about, because one of the biggest issues is preteen suicide. Like how can, before you're 12 years, 13 years old, how can you think your life is over or you don't have an opportunity? But if you've seen some of these communities and I'm not trying to blanket anything, some of these communities are very engaged educationally, athletically with their kids. And you see the prosper there. You see the growth. You see the enthusiasm in the community. And a lot of, there's other communities that aren't so much that way. And you can see that as well. And you can feel it. You know what I mean? There's a heaviness to that. So with this program that we did, we go into the schools, talk to the kids. We put clinics on. Just, it's a confidence thing. You know, have, you know, have fun. Believe it's okay to dream. Can you believe that kids are afraid to dream? And that's like, it breaks my heart. You know, it breaks my heart that we have children, and certainly in Canada, because I've seen some communities, you can't believe that we're in Canada. You know what I mean? No running water. I met a girl, 36 years old. I was there the first time she drank water out of a tap. 36 years old, first time to drink water out of a tap. That is I can't comprehend this shit, right? And we've had government after government after government. I'm not trying to berate that, but that haven't been able to fix this problem, and I don't see why. But anyway, so we're trying to get these kids to dream. And now I do a program, and Ricky's been a part of this. This is separate with Cisco Canada, Cisco Systems Canada. So we've, we do a program called – it's called Connected North. It's Tech for Good is the hockey tournament. But Connected North is is a group that, uh, and uh, Taking It Global is the charity that runs t Connected North. And what this does is put broadband and Wi-Fi in northern indigenous communities. So now they can communicate with the world. That's the biggest issue. When we go to these places that are tucked right by BC and Alaska, there's not much to go from. And they still have to leave to go to high school because they don't have enough, uh, you know, teenagers to go to high school. So, you know, there's that threat still in that community after, you know, the school system problems. So we go into these communities with these programs, and now it opens up. I want to do a podcast. How do I do a podcast? I want to be a DJ. I want to be a doctor. I want to be uh, EMS. I want to be an actor. I want to be a theater actor. So we could take these kids, or not me, but once we have the programs in there that they can take these kids and, and, and expand to, there was a Canadian that, uh, and I forget his name. I apologize. He's running one of the biggest opera houses and theaters in London, England, and he's a Canadian. So they did a FaceTime with them with grade 11s and they asked him questions. How did you get in? He says, well, I started with school plays and I went to this, I went to that. 
And then I found I loved the theater more than I loved the movie stuff. So, and then he explained how he got to where he is today. So we want them to understand. And he was a, a gentleman that didn't come from a great background. He had some indigenous in them. And we want to show these kids, you can always come home, but let's come home better. So we can leave to go to school, get educated, or work to be, get a degree or to be a hockey player or a baseball player, lacrosse, whatever that is. But you can come back to your community because a lot of these kids are afraid to leave because of the unknown and, and the racism that's out there. So they don't leave for whatever reason. But now we're seeing more and more self-government, which is doing great things. Educated people doing these, like actually indigenous people that are running their own programs rather than the white guy telling them, listen, this is going to be good for you. Oh, sorry, didn't work out again this time. It's only the 9 million time in 100 and something years, right? So, so we're seeing that kind of government, and we're also seeing we're opening up uh, the dreams again. And that's the whole point about it because it's a, a shame and a crime if you've got a 10-year-old that doesn't want a dream because they don't believe they can make it come true. What did you get out of it, Squid? Well, I mean, I, I remember going up uh, to uh, Cochrane. Where yeah. did we go play? Cochrane. No, yeah. the alumni game. Oh, and we, we go to uh, we go to uh, Moose Factory. Moose Factory. Moose and Moose, Moose Moose Factory, but the island. Moose yeah. So, so I remember being there. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was for some kind of a thing where they they had booths in the gym, and it was universities and businesses. That would come in and let and and give the kids an opportunity to go around and get pamphlets and so on and see what's available to them, because, but at least back then anyway, this was quite a while ago when I was there and it was kind of a situation where, they, they like you said Rick they didn't want to say anything because the elders didn't want them leaving because they didn't want their community to you know kind of disappear and if it, all of a sudden all the teenagers finish high school and then they're gone well then there's no one left there so uh that was what they were kind of dealing with at that time and i i found it quite interesting and i i loved when i had a chance to speak to the kids and in the, the gym there and everything it was it was fantastic yeah well i think you know we've got to understand it's uh and again i'm not trying to explain anything because we're seeing more and more of what the atrocities that have happened over, you know, 200 years or more, right, mm -hmm. colonialism. But at the end of the day, we're talking about the kids, okay? All that other stuff is hugely important and, and very sickening in, to, in many ways. But about the kids and how do you get kids to realize it's not against anything to dream and it's not anything to – but you also got to – Pull yourself away from certain environments, right, in regards to who you hang out with. And that's what we try to talk to. If you want to be successful, find somebody else that wants to be successful, right? You know what I mean? Or wants to be a good hockey player, a baseball player, stick to work and work together, you know, find a teammate, you know what I mean? And that's what we're trying to teach them. You've got teammates out there. Let's try to use them. You've got uh, some wise people here and, and certainly with, you know, preteens, let's try to eliminate suicide, from 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kids that believe this is the only out. And we're trying to say there's lots of ways to come, go out get out, but there's also ways to come back and help your community so you don't, other people don't struggle like you have mentally and physically. Well, I think you're seeing guys like Reggie Leach give more back to the community. Well, Reggie's part of that. Uh, Jamie Leach, sorry. Jamie's uh, part of that yeah. team as well. I forgot. I shouldn't forget Reggie because, you know, Order of Canada and, 
he's a great man, but he's a great man. And I've seen what he does and how respected he is. But the thing about that culture is what I really like is that they really respect their elders. They do. You know, there's some, unfortunately, there's kids that don't, but we have that all through walks of life. But they put their elders at the top and make sure when we're having community feasts, they get fed first. Do you understand what I mean by that? Because I'm not yeah. sure society as a whole understands yeah. what that means anymore. You know what I, I mean? It goes on every day of the I, week and in everyday life I, now. I in the communities and the inner city yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. And the crime and yeah. just no re, no regard for human life or respect. Or for respect anybody. is the biggest thing. Like, no you know respect. what I mean? It was all respect. Ricky. We yeah. grew up. Respect your elders. I mean, and, and, you know, yeah. when we try to, like, you know what I mean? I try to. I still yeah. do to this day. And, when I'm around older hockey players that I grew up watching and everything, I, I find and they know me and we're friends. It's still hard for me to not say, "Mister," you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it is, it's, yeah. it's hard for me, yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, you yeah. do your best, and we're trying to do better. And Johnny Shabbat's done a great job. Jamie Leach does shoot for uh, shoot for to score, which they run hockey programs. Him and uh, Reggie, and they've done a great job in their communities and and beyond, and they continue to do that. And I'm just honored that. The, and I say this: I'm the token white guy there. You know what I mean? And what I mean is I'm the defenseman because they are all goal scorers apparently and they never come back into their own end. So they need someone like me to go through it. Well, that's why you drag Squid exactly along. what I'm talking about. That's why you drag Squid along. <laughs> that's right. Well, guys, you know, we've, we've, got, we've uh, had a great show here. Lots, but got a couple. We just yeah. want to end off on a couple sure. of pods. So that's great work you're doing. Keep doing Thank it. You. I mean, it. It will be recognized. Thank and uh, anything we can. Anybody needs a out. public speaker, MC, or a jokester? Ricky knows I'm pretty good at that too. We, we could. Well, we can see that, and we're going to hear that. Well, Our yeah, audience is going to hear that good. this week. So just on a yeah. speaking of jokesters, yes, that's a good segue into where I yeah. want to go next. Now, some of the funnier guys you played with. I wanted to cut right to the chase. Now, yeah. one of the guys who is a Hall of Fame prankster, yeah, a guy by the name of Doug Gilmore here with yeah. remember. Yeah, a little shit. I call him a little shit. Can I say that on Leaf Nation? Sure can. can I say that? I won't get a hit list or you know letters of good execution coming in my house or what? Well, I told this story a couple of times on that is that when we've had him on our show, yeah, he was on a Zoom call or actually yeah. StreamYard as we're using. I still checked my shoes before he left the house. Oh. And, okay, that's how the hell notorious this guy is. Listen, he's been in $2,000 suits crawling under tables, right? Under tables in, like, I wouldn't say that, and I'm not saying the places were dirty or anything. And we're not talking like a hotel. We're talking a restaurant, a jam well, restaurant, and we're sitting that as a team. And he's got his Hugo Boss suit on. Can I tell one story about Dougie? We want you to tell some <laughs> stories. So we're going, we're in Calgary. No, where were we? We're the Leafs or Calgary. Anyways, one of, this is where the memory goes, too many headshots. We're either Calgary or, uh, or uh, Toronto. So we're in Chicago. And usually Dougie's at the rink way before everybody else, right? And he's gone. Like Guy Lafleur used to amaze me. Guy Lafleur would be there all day. And then by the time I got off the ice from the game, saying, you know, high-fiving guys and if I was playing – He'd be in the shower ready, almost walking out the door before I touched my skate to get it on. But, but he'd be there five hours before the game. So Dougie loved to get there early to drink his nine million coffees and do whatever Dougie to Gilmore did. So, you know, one time he's there and it's he's waiting and, you know, so no surprise that he's early. But 
at the end of the game, usually I'm getting therapy and all this. I'm like, I get dressed quick, undressed quick, but I seem to be the last guy out of the room for whatever reason. I don't, too much talking. So, anyways, we're uh, I'm sitting there getting nice down and everything like that. And Dougie's waiting around, waiting around. And I'm thinking, you little sucker, what's going on with you? Why, why aren't you gone? Why aren't you gone? I thought maybe he was going to screw up with some guy's equipment or something, right? Because we were hanging that night. And then he said. He says, okay, I'll tell you. So the night before, he put a suit out because, you know, we learn how to travel, right? The one suit, three shirts, three ties, three pair of underwear, three pair of socks. Yeah. You're good to go. No, I'll carry on. Don't have to check a bag, right? You can get out of there yeah. quick. So all of a sudden, he put his bag out on the door, and they would grab it at night and be back at 6 in the morning, right? You had to have it out at 10 by 10 or 11 or whatever. And so instead of dry cleaning, on the, you know, you have to fill up the sheet and put it on there. He put wash. So they washed the suit and dried it. So his, I swear to God, his arm, were, how do I get so you guys can see? His arm was like, you know, up to here. His pan legs, they look like those shorts or pants, you know, the ones just below the knee. What do they call those? Like, uh, capris? Oh, okay. the, the girls call them capris. 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 So he yeah. puts on his suit because he can't go buy another one, right, because we didn't have a pregame skate and all that kind of stuff. So he's stuck with this suit because he didn't because they didn't he didn't take it out of the wrapper until it was time to go to the rink, <laughs> right? So he's at the rink and he's doing this and he shows me his suit. I almost pissed myself. He's, it looked like it belonged to a six-year-old Dougie Gilmore. Not as, you know, 26 or 30 or whatever we were at the time. But we, I laughed and laughed at him, and I bring that up too because he used to bug me about a few things when I talk about the well, suit. Like Pee Wee Herman suit, that's what it was. Did he ever get you with a prank or you too Oh, no, because he knows I'd hit him, right? Because, you know, a little shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he, you know what he used to do? And I don't know. We would be out having dinner. Yeah, yeah. Having a few pops the night before, maybe not feeling a hundred percent in the next morning. And Dougie had this thing he'd do with his elbows, right? Made him look like he was going nine hundred miles an hour, and his feet weren't <laughs> even freaking moving, right? So, and I'm a big Clydesdale, okay? So I'm thumping it through, and then when I'm not feeling as good, for whatever reason, I thump a little harder. So I, you know, clog him through quicksand. I look like I'm going through quicksand, and he looks like he's a figure skater, but going nowhere. Right, so he'd shoot pucks in my feet all the time too. When he knew I wasn't feeling so good, I had the flu. I think Ricky, I had the flu. But I, you know, at yeah. the end of the day, he'd shoot pucks in my feet all the time. You know, I'd be around the coach, and he'd say, "Nat wants to talk to you, coach." And he'd bring the coach over, and of course, you know, the coach wants to get right in your face, and you don't smell like. That's when I learned about garlic. Eat a clove of half a clove of garlic, and the coach will never come and talk to you. Okay, but if you smell like booze, he's gonna be right in your face, right? So that's what Doug used to do to me. And then I'd be saying that you gotta stay on sweat that off. And Dougie, oh Dougie, you you know, good practice. You can go off and you'd be smirking a little thing, and I'd be like, You little prick, you little prick. So he'd go, be gone, but he wouldn't, you know, he knew don't fool with the clothes, but. You know what I mean? If you fool with my clothes, I will. I don't care if you're Dougie Gilmore. I'll kill you. You know. <laughs> so he was pretty good. But we go back a long way. Dougie and I, you know, spent a lot of time together. His firstborn, Madison, where his 
grew up with my two kids, uh, you know, and they're, they're at that age. And, you know, his young boys, I got to know and his young daughter, Victoria. I mean, he's, he's been a lifelong friend and he's got to remind me as Doug does, uh, as Cliff does. Cliff had to remind me, you know, I traded for you twice. And I'm like, oh shit, you did. Eh? There goes another Minnesota story right there. So. <laughs> well, I was going to say like Gilmore, he has no, no empathy for anybody in anybody's game. And he told Squid and I's story that uh, I think he's with Lanny McDonald or maybe it was, uh, it was might've been new and but one of the guys they were at a neighbor's place for New Year's celebrating or something, yeah. and they're an outdoor, and they had a fire going and all this. So he taps uh, whoever it was, McDonald, on his shoulder and says, "Come with me for a minute." And they go inside the guy's house, and everybody's in the back. Everybody else is in the backyard. So he goes inside, and they go into the pantry, and he starts pulling all the cans out of the guy's uh, pantry, all the the canned goods. Yeah. Then he tore all the labels off all the cans and put them all back. Oh, he's such a little shit. That's why I call him little shit, bud. That's what I said. No, isn't Dougie great? Oh, I love Dougie. I said he's a little shit. <laughs> like, who thinks that? But I love him. But I love him. And we've been friends forever. But he'd, you know, do that. And he'd always, and then he'd sort of hide, right? You know what I mean? Cause shit. And then everybody, oh, couldn't have been Dougie. Look at, he's like an angel. Like, he's an angel. It must have been Nat. Nat must have did it, right? No. You know what the hilarious thing is, Rick, is that he's like that still today. Oh, 100%. From day one, I can't go. I'll see him next week. Oh, I mean, the alumni games. He's going around cutting laces. and. You can't get him in the table as quick anymore because I've seen that little pouch. So he's got to watch it, right? You know, he says he's wearing him and his satchel, his man purse, I call it. He calls it a satchel. But listen, as much as he joked, he worked and he enjoyed the game. He enjoyed the atmosphere and you don't last as long as he did and be that successful if you don't love the game. And part of that is having fun in the dressing room. Ricky could attest to because. When yeah. you're winning, it's great, but when you're losing, you still have to have some fun because if you don't, then it becomes, you know, you get into situations where it gets away from you, right, individually and as a team. So the lighter you can make it, but still with the work ethic, I think Dougie was really good at that. I make fun of, you know, how he used to skate and practice with all yeah. the upper body movement and low lower body movement, but when it was time to play, as we all know, you know what sure I mean, he came up. to play, and I'll tell mm-hmm. you that, and I would fight. He knew. He could go through any door, bud, because I'd be right there with him. Well, Rick, we can't thank you enough for joining My us. My pleasure. Some fantastic stories. Uh, we thank you. Could go on for another hour with you. We got so much to do, but we do have a time constraint. We have to go to the washroom. I know Ricky does. I probably. <laughs> We're at that age, as you know. Hey. Well, I appreciate you, know you guys having me on, eh? I yeah, appreciate you having job. me on, and uh, we'll talk, Ricky. It was good to see you the other day, bud. We'll talk soon, eh? Yeah, Mike, it's a pleasure. Yeah, I've never yeah. really, we've never really talked much, but it's a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, great. Same to you, Nat. Thanks so Take much. Take care, for guys. Today. Okay, thanks, Nat. Thanks, Nat.